Some of you may know the name Shayla Visser. Daryl, I know you do. Many of you others do as well. I've recently had an opportunity to meet Shayla in person, but my first encounter with her was in the Alpha course. She shares a bit of her story during one of the Alpha videos on healing. And during that video, she shares uh, one, of her, one of the situations from her own life that involved healing. She says one night she woke up in the middle of the night and she felt delirious. She spilt a cup of water and generally she didn't feel well at all. She waited till the morning and in the morning she asked her husband to take her into the hospital. And after doing some tests, the doctor came in and said, you have fungal meningitis. Probably didn't play music at that point, but have you fungal meningitis, which meant that you have a small fungal ball that's growing at the base of your brainstem, and it's growing very quickly. She said the news was devastating. And the outcome meant that she would have to have brain surgery. And on top of that, she would have to be, even after the brain surgery, in the hospital for a number of months afterwards, and then again on antifungals for two years after that. It was devastating. She said that she was so concerned about the outcome that she would regularly wake up for three weeks after finding out in the middle of the night, worried that she would die during the brain surgery. And so she stayed in the hospital for a number of weeks preparing for the surgery. And on Good Friday, her pastor called on the phone and said, I was wondering if I could come in and pray with you. She said that a number of people have been praying for her so far, and she'd love to have another person come in and to pray. And so the pastor came in, and when he was with her, they were praying together. And during a part of their prayer, he said, Shayla, I have the sense that God wants to heal you. And in that moment, Shayla internally said this to herself. She said, I felt like I had very little faith for miraculous healing. It's not because I didn't believe it was possible, but I just thought it would probably happen for someone else. She was in a place where she deeply desired healing to happen, for God to destroy this fungal meningitis, this fungal ball that was growing quickly at the base of her brainstem. She wanted that to happen, but if she was honest, she really wasn't sure if it would happen for her. We're in a sermon series here at 10th called Encounters with Jesus. And we've been looking at different stories in the New Testament, different stories of encounter, where Jesus has had an encounter with an individual that has resulted to joy, or today as we will see, healing. And our story for today is a story of Jesus having an encounter with a paralyzed man. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark 2, verses 1 through 12. You can also follow along on the screen behind me. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, 
he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So he got up. He took his mat and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that this paralyzed man had an encounter with you 2,000 years ago. And you spoke the words on him, son, your sins are forgiven and take your mat and walk that you healed him. We pray today wherever we are personally in our journey with healing that we would have an encounter with you and have a deeper understanding that healing was not only something that you did 2,000 years ago but a part of our encounters with you today. We pray this in your name. Amen. The passage begins telling us that Jesus had come home to Capernaum and that he was teaching in a house. Some scholars believe that this house was Jesus' house, but I think generally the consensus is that this was Peter's home. Jesus was teaching in Peter's home. And such a large crowd had gathered that spilling out the front door, likely spilling out the windows. So many people that it's almost a circle around the house of people trying to hear him teach and preach, and maybe if they're lucky, see a miracle. At this point, we're introduced to someone in the narrative that we just know as the paralyzed man, carried by his four friends. And these four friends are carrying their paralyzed man who's lying on his mat, and when they get to the house they realize there's no way for them to get inside. These friends and the man had likely heard that Jesus was in town, and they'd heard maybe through the grapevine that Jesus does miracles. And they were hoping that Jesus would do a miracle for their paralyzed friend. And so they carry their paralyzed man to the house, see that there's no way to get inside. And that's when they do something very unconventional for our world, and especially in this ancient one too. Rather than trying to push their way through the front door, they take their friend over to the side of the house. As in the ancient Middle East, many homes had ladders or staircases that would allow them up access to the roof. And so they carried their friend up this ladder or staircase onto the roof, and then they do something almost unthinkable for most people. They dig a hole through the roof. Have any of you seen a roof demolition before? 
It is unbelievable work and incredibly messy. Shingles flying off the roof, nails everywhere. And in this ancient context, it would have been even messier and even more chaotic because ancient roofs were built with branches that were built along wooden posts and then sealed together with a mud plaster. So imagine being in the home listening to Jesus teaching and preaching. Maybe a peaceful moment, Jesus praying. All of a sudden you hear steps on the roof, scratching, and then mud falling from the roof, twigs falling down, chaos ensuing. That's a little bit what it would have looked like to be in that home. Peter looking up and wondering why someone is installing an undesired sunroof in his house. It's a little bit what it would have been like in the home. And then finally, these four friends dig a hole large enough in the roof, which would have been quite large, in order to lower their paralyzed friend down into the house. So slowly they lower him down, deeper, deeper into the home, until this paralyzed man is face to face with Jesus. Talk about an encounter. And Jesus looks up, or the man looks up, and Jesus looks at him, and Jesus says, Son, your sins are forgiven. Kind of a strange response, hey? I think everybody in the room, seeing the paralyzed man, would look at him, and Jesus, he's come for physical healing on his paralysis, not for forgiveness. But the first thing that Jesus says is, Son, your sins are forgiven. And let's remember that, and let's come back to that a little bit later. We're going to loop back around with that. And then we're told that there are a number of teachers of the law. These are biblical experts who are in the room. And they knew that only one person had the ability to forgive sins, namely God, or the priests on God's behalf. And so Jesus, knowing that these teachers of the law were thinking in their hearts that he didn't have the ability to forgive sins, he didn't have the authority to forgive sins, Jesus, we're told, says this. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, take your mat and go home. And he did. The man picked up his mat and walked out in plain sight of them all. In the New Testament, half of the miracles, half or more than half of the miracles, are miracles of healing. The people who knew Jesus best and the people who spent time and interviewed those who knew Jesus best and who walked with him during his earthly ministry felt that healing was such an important part of Jesus' life and work that to have an encounter with him almost invariably will involve some kind of healing. That's why more than half of the miracle encounters that Jesus had involve some kind of healing. You can't separate Jesus the person from Jesus the healer. But to have an encounter with Jesus 2,000 years ago involved healing. And for us too, to have an encounter with Jesus today will involve some kind of healing as well. 
And I think we should acknowledge at this point that this really isn't an easy conversation, is it? For many people, it brings mixed emotions. Maybe for some of you, confusion. Maybe fear. Maybe hurt, pain, anxiety. Or maybe even hope. A year and a half ago, I received an email from a woman named Lucy. She said that she had been to 10th a week previously, and she had had this amazing encounter with God in our sanctuary building, right over there in that corner. Lucy is originally from the area, from Burnaby, but she lives in Toronto. But because her parents still live here, she flies to Burnaby to come and visit them every now and then. And she has a bit of a complicated medical history with a herniated disc and other torn muscles and issues. And so when she comes to visit her parents, she often sleeps on the couch and, as tends to happen when you sleep on the couch, can re-aggravate different medical issues that you've had in the past. And this week was no different for her. It was a Sunday morning and Lucy, who has given us permission for me to share a bit of her story, shares this in her own words. She says, I got up, moving very carefully, not turning my head at all, just keeping as straight as possible. And I decided I'm going to go to service here, here at 10th. It was hard to sit still because even breathing could trigger a shooting pain. But I made it through the service, and after the service, there was a call for prayer. I thought, why not? I thought he could heal me, and I want to be healed. But would he heal me? I knew I had nothing to lose. So I walked down and stood in front of Deborah, who's a part of our Mount Pleasant Morning community and a part of our prayer team. And she greeted me with such warmth. I told her that I had hurt my neck and that I was experiencing a lot of pain. And she said to me, this is one of my favorite, one of my favorite lines, Lucy, this is your lucky day. <laughs> she asked me if she could put her hand on me and she began to pray for me. I don't even remember the words of her prayer. I was so distracted with pain. But just as I was focusing back on her words, I felt an excruciating pain in the back of my neck. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced before. The pain was so jolting, I almost stopped her prayer. But as fast as the bulge of pain came on, it deflated. Deborah was coming to the end of her prayer, and I wanted to tell her what happened, but I was still processing the experience in my mind. Not knowing how to explain, I just thanked her and I walked away. But I knew, without a shadow of doubt, that I had been healed. I tried shrugging my shoulders, but the muscles were still really tight, yet everything in me knew I was healed. And with each step that I took out of the church, one by one, the muscles started to release. I could feel the muscles in my jaw relax. Every part of my neck, my shoulders, and then my back, every muscle released. I walked for five minutes to a cafe down the street, and by the time I sat down with my tea, I was completely fine. I could rotate my neck with ease, move my shoulders and my arms. The pain, the tension was completely gone, as if it never was. I was healed. It's an amazing story. And together, it was such an amazing story that I said, Lucy, can I call you? And I called her just a few days later, and we talked over the phone and celebrated. And later I talked to Deborah, who said she was so grateful to be a part of a way that God brought healing to Lucy's life. God continues to do miracles of healing today in and through our community. I know because I've journeyed with many of you, and I've heard your stories. God continues to heal today. 
But we should also acknowledge, as we said earlier, that this is a complicated conversation. And for some of you, there's mixed emotions here. It's not a simple conversation, but for some of you, there is great pain, even disappointment. I remember being in my office with a woman who was a part of our Mount Pleasant Morning community. She, at this point, had already had three bouts of cancer which had gone into remission, and she was grateful for experiencing that healing and the longevity of life that she had. But another bout of cancer had come on, and this time even stronger than before. And her doctor had said, you should begin to get your affairs in order. And we sat in my office together, praying. Praying that God would defeat every cancer cell in her body, destroy every cancer cell, and to bring healing and recovery and more life back to her body. But unfortunately, within a couple of months, we were planning her celebration of life. For myself, and especially for her family and her friends, it was an incredibly painful experience. Because right until the end, this woman knew that God was going to heal her. She had experienced healing so many times, she was confident that it would happen again. And it was confusing and hard that it didn't happen for everyone around her. And if that's your story today, maybe you're walking in a journey of healing and it isn't happened yet, or maybe you're walking with someone through their own healing, or you've walked with someone and healing didn't come in this life, I'm sorry. That you know the deep gut-wrenching desire for healing. In your own life or for in the life of a loved one, the deep gut-wrenching desire for healing. But you also know the need for hope in those spaces of suffering and pain. And I remember being in my office with this woman, and together we prayed for healing again and again. God, bring your healing. God, destroy cancer. God, recover her body. But we also proclaimed a hope together and spoke a hope together that was greater than her cancer, greater than her suffering, and greater than her pain. We said together, God, you will bring healing. Whether in this life or at the resurrection, you will completely heal and restore her body. And in the next life, whenever that is, all of the pain and the suffering that she is going through will be gone. And you could see in her eyes and in her heart, even though she knew that God was going to bring healing, that this hope was bigger than what she was going through. That the hope that Jesus comes to offer us in healing is a healing of our bodies. And for many of us, we will experience some kind of healing in this life, maybe in a church building or in a hospital. All healing is God's healing. But the hope that we declare together around healing is a hope that is greater than our deepest sufferings. It's a hope that is greater even than this life. And God has the ability to transform our darkest suffering and pain into a place of hope. And he has the ability, too, to transform our spaces of suffering into a depth of life and even joy. Some of you know the name Tim Keller. Tim Keller was the pastor of Redeemer Church in New York. He is also one of my favorite teachers and writers. Tim Keller, in May 2020, was diagnosed with stage 4 pancreatic cancer. 
It was such a significant diagnosis that his doctor said, Tim, you will die of this. As most people who have stage four pancreatic cancer live for less than a year. And I was listening to an interview between Dr. Keller and these interviewees. And one of the interviewees said to Dr. Keller, how do you square the fact that healing doesn't always happen? Even when we pray for healing, it doesn't always happen. And Dr. Keller said that he still prays twice a day. And that if God wanted to, he could heal his body. But whether he will, only God knows. And then Tim shared these words. He said, I would never want to go back to the prayer life that my wife Kathy and I had before cancer. We have a much better life now. Do you hear that? Not only has living in light of his diagnosis transformed his prayer life, but all of his life. Tim shares in the interview that as a young child, he knew that he would die, but if he was honest, he didn't really live in light of that death, both in his personal life, how he prioritized things, in his relationships, in his time, but he said even in his spiritual life, in his life with God, in his prayer life. But when he received this most recent diagnosis of stage four pancreatic cancer, it shifted things for him, and he began to live his life in light of the end. And that's why he was able to say, in all honesty, I would never want to go back to the prayer life that my wife and I had before cancer. We actually have a much better life now. Because Dr. Keller knows that the quality of our life isn't determined by the quantity of our days, but the intentionality to which we bring to our days and the gratitude that we experience in them. God's able to take even our greatest places of suffering and pain, even the most difficult and devastating diagnosis, and create a depth of life in those places for us to experience. So much so that Tim was able to say, I have a much better life now. God, too, is able to take our suffering and our pain and able to allow us to experience God's compassion and to live with courage. Last year, I shared a story of my grandmother's final few days on earth. She had been in and out of the hospital so much that um, most of us thought she could recover from anything. She was in palliative care at this point, and honestly, I still thought that she would recover. And I remember sitting on her hospital bed and praying for healing for her. She was in such intense and immense pain the majority of every day, even with all the medications that she was on. She just desired for the pain to be gone. I prayed for healing. I prayed for the restoration of her body, and I prayed that God would take away the pain and the suffering that she was experiencing. But day after day, it continued to get worse. And then on what would be her last day here on earth, she had a vision of Jesus. And she said that she was laying in her hospital bed, having experienced incredible pain. She told us this in retrospect. She had a a few moments of clarity as she kind of had every day. She had a a few moments where she was of right mind when her medications kind of balanced. And at that time, she said she had a vision of Jesus in the corner of the hospital room that that she'd only ever had once before in her life. And she said in that moment, it was such a place of comfort for her. 
And I was able to see her living through that final day, even though she had such pain and such a desire for things to be over, to live every moment with such courage. That God gave her his compassionate presence in an encounter with him and allowed her to live with courage in her final days. I think one of the reasons, too, Jesus showed himself to her in that final day is so that she would know that the next time she saw him, that she would be free of all the pain and the suffering that she had been experiencing so far. And later that evening, she did. She went to meet with him. Jesus can take our greatest places of healing and pain and transform them into places of courage, and places where we can experience the depth of Jesus' compassion for us. They can become encounters with Jesus. It's not just the paralyzed man who have encounters with Jesus, but so too, we in our own healing can have an encounter with Jesus too. That we can, with Jesus, declare that better things are coming. And few people know this reality better than Henry Nouwen. Henry Nouwen is my favorite author. He's a priest, and he was a best-selling writer. And in the latter days of his life, Dr. Nouwen lived at the Larch Daybreak community with severely disabled individuals, people living with severe intellectual and physical disabilities. And I recently finished his book, Journey to Daybreak, which is a journal of his different entries. You can see Henry Nowen right there in the middle of this old picture. This is a, a picture of the community at Larch Daybreak together. And I'm reading, or I've just finished his book, Journey to Daybreak, which is a copy of his journal entries as he was discerning moving into the Larch Daybreak community. And during one journal entry, Nowen shares this. It had been Easter morning, and they were celebrating together in the chapel, singing out. And then Nowen shares these words. While all this joy was filling the chapel, I saw Nathan stood up with Philippe in his arms, and they left the church. Philippe's body is severely distorted. He cannot speak, walk, dress, or feed himself, and needs help every second of his waking hours. He had been lying in his assistant's lap, quietly sleeping. But when the celebration became more lively, he started to howl. An anguish coming from the deep down of his being. And after a while, his howls became so intense and loud that Nathan had to carry him to his car and drive him home. Now it continues. He said, when I saw Philippe in Nathan's arms, I suddenly realized what we were proclaiming this Easter vigil. Philippe's body is a body destined for new life, a resurrected life. And in his new body, he will carry the signs of his suffering, just as Jesus carried his wounds that occurred on the crucifixion into his own glory. And yet Philippe will no longer be suffering, but will join the saints around the altar of the Lamb. Now in worshiping and spending time with those who lived with intense physical and mental disabilities knew the great hope that we proclaim together. That even when we pray for healing in this life, that God will bring healing. God will restore all of our bodies. God loves our bodies. But that healing will either recur in this life or at the resurrection. 
God will redeem and restore all of our bodies. Another thing that Nowen shared in his reflections, especially living with individuals who many of us would say are disabled, is he came to become aware of his own disabilities. Disabilities that are hidden to so many others. Philippe's disability was visible to so many. And yet many of us walk around with hidden wounds that are invisible to the plain eye. Relational wounds, spiritual wounds, mental wounds, anxiety, trauma from our childhood. We all desire healing. Hilly McBride was here just a few days ago giving a talk called Healing in Our Bodies. And during her talk, she said something to the effect of, if you want to experience healing, then you need to be honest with your wounds. If we want to experience healing, friends, we need to be honest with our own wounds. The ones that are maybe visible to our neighbor, but the hidden wounds that no one else would see. Mental anguish, anxiety, the loss of a job, the loss of a loved one, trauma, even relational instability within our life. We need to be honest with our wounds if we want to experience healing. And God wants us to experience healing. So where are your deepest wounds? Where are your deepest spaces and need for healing? God desires to heal you. And he will bring his healing. And one of the things that I love about this passage is that it doesn't only declare an individualistic healing between us and God, but it declares that Christian healing is a community healing. That it involves walking with others. I don't know if you picked it up in the passage, but the paralyzed man was being carried by his four friends, wasn't he? And again and again, these four friends overcome barriers for their paralyzed friend. They overcome the barrier that he couldn't walk by carrying him. They overcome the barrier that there was no way to encounter Jesus through the front door. And they got creative and they went around and onto the roof and dug through the roof. And they overcame doubt with faith. In the passage, Jesus said... Um, he recognized their sins. And in the original Greek, the their sins, the their, is plural. It's not just the paralyzed man that he saw his faith, or sorry, let me back up just a second. He said that he saw their faith, their faith. It wasn't just the paralyzed man's faith that Jesus saw, but he saw the faith of the four friends as well. And this is why we believe so strongly in community here at 10th when we feel like we can't walk ourselves to an encounter of Jesus, that we have others who can help to walk with us. That's why we believe so strongly in soul trios and life groups, friends on the journey, who can walk with us, not only when life is good and filled with joy, but when we feel like we can't get ourselves to Jesus, that they walk with us and pray with us. It's why we have a prayer team here on Sundays. People who can pray with us when we're having a hard time praying ourselves and who can lift us up to God. And this is why some of you work in the healthcare field as doctors, nurses, technicians, pharmacists, and technicians. You 
work in those areas because you know that all healing is God's healing. And you want to walk alongside people who are suffering so they too can experience the healing of God. If you have ever sat with a well-trained doctor, nurse, or technician, and you've experienced their compassion and their expertise, you have experienced the healing touch of God. This is why we believe so strongly in community here at 10th. Because healing is a community affair. It is a healing. Healing is relational. It's our relationship with God, and it's our relationship with one another. And Jesus highlights that here in this passage. But healing is also bigger than our bodies, too. In that time with Hilary McBride, she said these words, healing involves our bodies, but it's also bigger. It involves wholeness and integration. It's a move towards wholeness and integration. A wholeness of our bodies, but a wholeness of our whole selves. Our relationships with one another and our relationship with God. That's why the first thing that Jesus says to the paralyzed man is not you are healed, but son, your sins are forgiven. In offering a forgiveness of sin, Jesus is offering this man a hope that is greater than his suffering, greater than his brokenness, greater than the pain that he's experiencing. He's offering a hope that is able to live with courage in the face of his greatest suffering, like my grandmother, to experience Jesus' compassion. He's offering a hope that is able to live with a depth of life, even with a life-ending diagnosis like Dr. Keller. He's offering a hope that is greater than the greatest places of our suffering, the greatest places of our pain, the greatest places that we desire healing. It's even greater than our greatest and deepest doubts. At the beginning of the sermon, I shared a bit of Shayla Visser's story with you. And when we left her, she was in the hospital, having just prayed with her pastor, who said, I think God wants to heal you. And she said, if I'm honest, I wanted healing, but I didn't think it would happen for me. It would likely happen for someone else. And in the Alpha video, she continues afterwards by sharing this. The following week after receiving that prayer, she had an MRI scheduled. But before the MRI happened, the doctor rushed in into her room and said, are you ready to go home? She was surprised, obviously. The doctor said, we can't find it. The fungal ball has completely disappeared. The MRI results had come back, and there was no longer any evidence at all that the fungal ball had ever existed. And even the small scar that had been on her brain had disappeared as well. In response, Shayla said, I have never known that kind of joy, and I've never experienced the depth of that kind of gratitude. God wants to come and to bring healing and declare a hope over us that is greater than our suffering, greater than our pain, even greater than our greatest doubts. And when Shayla says that in that moment she experienced a kind of joy and depth of gratitude that she never experienced before, she's experienced just a foretaste of the kind of joy and gratitude that each of us will feel. 
when God redeems and restores all of our bodies on the final days of our resurrection and brings them back to life. And whatever ways we desire healing, whatever wounds we have, whatever pain we've experienced, ourselves or even with our loved ones who have passed, God will redeem, God will restore, and God will heal all wounds. In a moment, I want to pray. And I've invited today our prayer team to come in. I've actually invited our whole prayer team to come in today between both services. Some of them, I think, are still at home because of the snow. But we want to pray for you. In fact, let me invite our prayer team to come up right now. We want to pray for you. It's a place for you to come and to pray with someone who we said, friends on a journey. Whether your wounds and your pains are visible or invisible, we want to pray with you. Our prayer team will be up here up front, and I'll be here in the center pew as well. An invitation to ask that God would bring healing on your bodies. Healing on your minds, healing on our relationships. And anytime after my prayer, you're welcome to come up for healing. We will be up here up front the whole rest of the service. If you want someone to come and pray with you, I'll be up here afterwards. Come and pray with me or with our prayer team up front. Let me invite you to pray with me now. Jesus, we all walk with wounds. I walk with wounds. For many of us, those wounds, those pains, the trauma that we've experienced is hidden to the visible eye, but you see them. You know them. And like that paralyzed man who was lowered from the roof and looked you square in the face, so too you look at us now. You say, son and daughter, your sins are forgiven. And I long to bring healing and wholeness to your body. And even more than that, we proclaim together your hope, Jesus, that you will bring healing. On ourselves, on our friends, on our loved one, on this whole earth, that you will bring healing and restoration to the deepest wounds, the deepest brokenness, the visible and the invisible suffering that we experience. will bring your healing to us. So just as that man had an encounter with Jesus, we say, Lord, we want to have an encounter with you today. And whether that healing happens today, tomorrow, next week, or at the resurrection, we declare that you will heal us. And that you can can transform even our greatest suffering into places of courage and hope and a depth of life that we've never experienced before. So together we say, come Jesus. Be our healer.